Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. So what I want to do is go to the, the first verse, Romans 12, 2. And this is kind of our, our, uh, our main verse for this series. And as we read it, it says, and do, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, I want to take just a brief moment, and I want to, want to look at this conformity word, what it means to be conformed to the world around us, what it means to have an understanding of what the world tells us, who we are, what our identity is, what our beliefs are. Everyone here is alive and well, as far as I can tell. So that means each one of you were born at some point. Each one of you has gone through a a series of years of growing. And I can tell you, without even knowing you, that you grew up a certain way. That, every, that the certain way that you grew up, you grew up with values. You grew up with, with morals. You, and maybe they weren't good. Maybe they were bad. But you grew up in a way that you had beliefs. You had a belief system that puts you into the reality of who you were. That no matter what happened, if your reality was abuse, that was where you were comfortable. If your reality was was drinking, that was where you were comfortable because you saw it modeled to you by your parents. If your reality was, was working all the time, having a, a good work ethic, that was your comfort zone. When you get in distress, that's what you return to. When you're having a hard time, that's where you go to because that's your reality. That's your comfort. That's what is home to you. Being conformed is more than just what the world tells us our identity should be, but it's the, it's the uh, false truths that you've listened to your whole life. It's the false reality that, that this world has portrayed, not even just through the people around you and your friends right now, but from the very way you grew up, from the very things you encountered when you were young. Whether it was being abused by anger, maybe being abused by emotional distress, maybe it was a, a divorce that happened earlier in your life, but it, it defined who you were. It started to give you an identity that wasn't really your identity. It became something that you started to have and use as a crutch. And you started to walk on it. And it was where your comfortable, comfortability was at, right? It's broken. A lot of us, a brokenness is where, our, where we're comfortable. If this thing isn't broken, I don't understand why it's working. If this thing isn't broken, why, is things, why are things going so good for me? Every time something's going good for me, it's falling apart. So we sit with an expectation of stuff to start falling apart. We sit with an expectation to start seeing our identity. And when our identity doesn't come to truth, we break it ourselves. Because if it's not broken, we're not comfortable. If you're in a place like that today, I got good news. There is help. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the blood that was shed upon the cross. I thank you for every hardship you endured. Lord, that 
The reason you couldn't carry that cross up that hill, Father God, the Lord sent you another person to carry the cross because you were trying to drag every sin, every guilt, every shame up that hill to hang on that cross so that it would be done for once and for all. And for that we thank you this morning. For that we give you glory. For that we give you praise. For that we give you honor in this place, Father God. Lord, move in this house today. Fall afresh upon us today that you would be glorified, that your word would be known. And Lord, that our eyes would be open. Not that we would see naturally, but that we would be able to see what you have for us. In Jesus' name, and they all said, amen. Being conformed to the world is more than what we see around us right now, but it's really a set of values that's inside of us. We're going to talk about culture shock again today. That's our series, and I wanted to take a little different look at what culture shock is. And the only, only thing I did was I defined the two words separately. So culture is the attitudes and behavior characteristics of a partic- particular social group. Shock is a sudden upsetting or surprising event or experience. So when you're used to something, when you're comfortable in your reality and your identity of who you are, when you're used to brokenness and you come into a situation where you're being treated right, where everything's going well, where everything's going the way you need it to go, you're in shock. It's more than just walking into a different country and having the expectation of having the same amenities and freedoms that we have here in America. It's more than, than walking into a country and expecting to be able to have a faucet to turn the water out so that we can drink easily. It's more than walking into a different country and expecting a refrigerator to open up so we have food readily available for us. The cultures around us are a lot different. And we get shocked when we don't understand why they're not the same. I had a little revelation yesterday. We were in the car, and I I started writing, and I said, culture shock is going into a different environment while expecting the same environment you came from. Trying to operate in old ways and traditions in a new or different place. Your world is turned upside down. And we don't know what to do. We're shocked. We're taken back. We're set in a new place. Today we're going to talk a little bit about Paul, who was first named Saul. And I want to introduce Paul to you, or Saul. We're going to talk about him as Saul at first, and we'll get into the Paul portion later. But Saul was a man who grew up with an identity. And in Philippians 3, verses 5, through seven, we see what his identity was. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. This was Paul's identity. Doesn't sound like a bad identity, does it? He grew up with the law. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He grew up in the tribe of Benjamin. He was an Israelite to the very bone of his body. He was everything God had called him to be because the Israelites were God's chosen people. He was everything that that God wanted to see according to his law. He says, according to the law found blameless to the law. The law is the Ten Commandments. Found blameless to the law in his eyes, in the eyes of those around him. But now we see Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels. And he starts to look at the law a little differently. And he says, if you had the thought 
of adultery, you're an adulterer. If you had the thought of murder, you're a murderer. If you had the thought of lying, you're a liar. If you had the thought. Jesus brought a whole new realm to the law. So now that Paul was found once blameless to the law, now in his mind he's seeing the very fact that he's, he's a sinner just like everyone else. And in this particular passage, Paul is saying that if anybody has a right to boast, it is me. Because I am bone of bone. I am an Israelite. I am, according to the law, blameless. I am everything God has called us to be according to the law. But Jesus came and said different. This is an identity that Paul has brought on in his life. And Paul or Saul is a radicalist. He lives radically for what he believes in. I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes we live so radically for what we believe in that we don't want to separate ourselves to believe in something other than what we grew up as. We live so radically for brokenness, it's what we, we choose to find in every relationship. We live so radically for the bottom of a bottle, it's what we do every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. Maybe every night there's a football game. We live so radically for pornography that every night we sit down by the computer, turn it on, and try and find something new and crazy to just arouse our senses. We live so radically for things today. We live so radically to have an understanding of what our parents did, that that's what we, we are going to do. That's where our comfort lies. And we're blinded to the fact that that is not what God has called us to. Our identity is now found in those things that we grew up to be. Paul was a radicalist. He lived radically as a Hebrew. He lived radically as a, as a Pharisee. And the first time we see Saul, I keep saying Paul, it's Saul, Saul is Paul, Paul is Saul, Saul is Paul. But we'll get this, all right? Saul lives so radically for his life according to the law that he starts persecuting Christians because they said this guy Jesus was the Messiah. And according to the scriptures, they said the Messiah was going to come, and they said that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was nothing more than a regular man. And so often we're looking for something that is that is crazy, beyond what we can, we can recognize. They were looking for, for the clouds to open up and for the Messiah and the Savior to come down and be reality to all of them, that it would be simple to recognize. When the Israelites were in the forest, Moses said that God is going to give us bread. They were looking for a nice loaf of Sara Lee to come down, all packaged up, ready to go. And all they got was this funky dew on the ground, and they said, manna. Manna in Hebrew means, what is it? What is it? I don't even know what it is. You telling me this stuff is edible? It comes every morning. It was bread. It was the bread of God. It wasn't what, what they expected. The Messiah wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what he expected. So when they came, Paul said, the Messiah can't be this man. He's flesh and bone just like I am. He's every bit of discomfort, he's every bit of reality that we are. He's, he's not a God. He was expecting something different. Just a side note, this is free, but the Savior is called the bread of life. Manna was the bread of life in the wilderness. When the Messiah came, they said, manna, what is it? They didn't know who he was. They didn't have the reality of it. So we see Saul persecuting the church, his reality becoming of a murderer. He's saying, you're not following the law. These people are blaspheming God. 
this, this thought that this man Jesus is the Messiah is completely wrong. And he starts killing the very people that believed in the law that he was trying to uphold. He starts killing people that are believing in the, in the God that created the law that he's trying to uphold. And his, his identity and reality gets twisted. I don't know about you here tonight or this morning. Boy, it's been a long day. All right. I don't know about you here this morning. But my reality has been twisted before. My ideas, my ideals, my thoughts, my processes have been twisted. And all of a sudden what I thought my core beliefs were are beginning to be skewed and blurred. And I start to see other things. And if I don't recognize this blurred vision, I fall into that. And this is where, where Saul was at. He was persecuting the church. We, we find him standing next to some, some other Pharisees and followers of the law, stoning a man named Stephen who just stood up for Jesus Christ. They laid the robes at his feet, and, and Saul just stood by and let it happen. There's no biblical proof that Paul ever murdered anybody. But again, Jesus said, if you had the thought, you've already committed the act. And Saul begins this huge persecution of the church. And I'm going to pick up in Acts 9, and we see Paul getting permission to go to Damascus and find Christians and bring them back to the high priest so that they can be killed, so they, they can be taken out. And we're going to pick up in Acts 9, verse 3. It says, then as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight. Neither ate nor drank. Paul's identity is starting to hit a wall. Paul's beliefs are hitting a wall. He is so radically emphatic about what he's doing that he is marching to Damascus with those that are helping him and following him to grab more Christians, to take them and have them murdered, to have them persecuted for what the blasphemous things are saying. And in the midst of this journey, he's walking along, and boom, the light. Down on the ground he goes. And he hears, Saul, Saul, whom are, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who is this? He has never had a reality of who Jesus is. And he sees Jesus. And he says, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. The very Messiah. At that moment, he was seeing that the very Messiah that he, was, that he was killing people for believing in was the reality of God before him at that moment. And the light was so, so bright that it took away his natural sight. And when I said he opened his eyes, but he could see nothing. His eyes were opened, but he could see nothing. He could now see in the spirit, but he could no longer see in the natural. Sometimes to really have an, uh, an identity Relief, we have to close our natural eyes and start seeing what God has called us. we got to start to see where God is putting us. we got to start to believe and see what God is giving us a reality to. Open your eyes to the light. Close your eyes to the darkness. Be revealed in that way. 
Paul was being brought down, he was being humbled. That's a harsh way to be humbled. Sometimes God, when God has a purpose for you, he'll do whatever it takes. Sometimes when you're not listening, he'll do whatever it takes. I believe that if we live radically for something, we'll, we'll live radically for everything. He was living so radically for the law. He loved what he lived. He loved what God had called him to. But he loved it in a skewed, blurred way. His identity became the law. In Romans, the very letter that Paul writes says that the law was only there so that sin increased. Now people had a reality to what was wrong. He was pouring every bit of his identity in the very thing that showed God what he was doing. I don't know about you, but we got to get off of what's showing God what we're doing. We got to get off of the law. We got to get off of that and start getting the identity of the blood of Jesus Christ that it has called us clean because the blood, this is so good. So in the tabernacle, in the tabernacle, so the high priest would come into the tabernacle once a year. He would take the blood of the lamb, and he put the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the cover of the Ark of the Covenant that they created to put in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle. There's three areas of the, of the tabernacle. I'm going to go through this quick because I don't have a lot of time. But the blood of the lamb would be over that cover, and their sins would be forgiven for one year. See, the power of the blood of the lamb was just an animal. It was a pure lamb. It was, it was the power of that, that pure animal that covered their sins for one year. But that power ran out. Now we see the same high priest marching up the hill with a guy carrying a cross. The one that he was going to be nailed to. Every bit of blood has already flown out of him. And he is going to die because on his death, he walks into the Holy of Holies, puts his blood on the altar, and says there's enough power for the rest of the lifetime of anybody. There is power in the blood. He takes it away. That's where our identity lies. Paul is getting an identity relief at this moment. He's being brought to a new reality. You don't have to murder people to follow God. You don't have to. You kill them with love. It's great. So good. Let's go to Acts 17. And we'll read down to 22. Here Paul is. He's, he's, he's in this city for three days. He can't see. He had to follow the very guys that he was leading. Now, if you're in a, in, you're in a position to where you used to lead and now you find yourself following somebody, God is changing you. God is changing you because he's changing the identity and the reality of who you are. Paul could no longer see, and so now he had to follow the very men that he was trying to lead. And these men had no idea what they had seen. They, they could hear, but they couldn't see. So their eyes hadn't been opened. Paul's eyes were opened, yet closed at the same point. So in verse 17, we find him there in the city. And there was a man, Ananias, that the Lord had called to go and pray for, for Saul. And Ananias, in that point, said, this guy has been killing people. You want me to go pray for this guy? I don't uh. Sure about this, Lord? You know who this guy is? Are you sure that this is where you've called me to go? And Ananias is struggling, but the Lord told him to go. So in verse 17, we pick it up. It says, So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. 
he could see spiritually, but now he had the understanding to be able to take the natural sight and see what God had for him. See, sometimes we've got to see spiritually before we can see naturally. Because when we just see naturally, all we see is things for what they are. But when you can see spiritually and then see naturally, now you can see what God has called out of each, each thing. You can see the love that you have to pour out for each person. You no longer see people by their external expressions. You no longer see uh, physical things by their external expressions. You now see them what God created them to be. You see them in a new light. It's a reality that, that is just amazing. Paul took food and he was, he was strengthened. It says, and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Paul now has this reality. Paul starts to preach Jesus Christ. And everybody's confused. Now this is where culture shock really comes in. This is where the culture shock comes in. You've been living so long for one identity, that's how people know you. People know you as the guy that's at the bar every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. People know you for the person that sits home at your computer. People know you for brokenness. People know that every relationship you get into is broken. People know you by the identity that you've shown your whole life. I can, I can tell you a story. Like I, I'm a radical guy, if you couldn't tell already, but I live radically, not always for Christ. There was one point in my life that I lived radically to go out every night and party. When I was in college, I wanted to be the life of the party. I radically lived to be that expression because that's the way people knew me. And I felt like if I let them down in that reality, the how they knew me, that they would have a brokenness about them, about me. They'd be like, why are you changing? What's wrong with you? Why, why are you doing different things? Why are you becoming something we don't know? And I felt so heavily that I had to go out every night, and every night I'd get home and I'd sit in my bed and just think, God, this isn't the life that you called for me. But I was living in an identity that I created for myself. I was living in an identity because my parents had got divorced several years before that, and I was living in hurt, I was living in brokenness, and I was living in the covering up the, of the pain. And I love this story of baptism. It brings me to tears because it's an identity crisis. We start finding ourselves in the identity of what's going on around us. We start finding ourselves in the identity of what our parents have done, what our friends have told us, what we've seen in high school, what we've seen in jobs. The people that we're working with are trying to identify who we are. Culture shock isn't about being what the culture tells you to be. Culture shock is about shocking the culture you're in. Taking it to another level. When you're so focused on the fact that you're ill, man, I'm sick right now. I'm sick. Oh, I'm just so sick. I can't, I can't seem to kick this flu. I've, got, I've had it for four weeks now. I can't seem to kick it. Well, would you quit giving your identity to the flu and start giving your identity to Jesus Christ and the blood that's already taken you from it? You got to do that. He's the identity that you claim. I was on the treadmill the other night running. And, and I was trying to run at like a six-degree incline at seven miles an hour. And I'm not, I'm not a good runner. I really suck at it. Maybe that was a bad choice of a word. I'm sorry for that. But I'm really a bad runner. And I'm running and I'm running. And I'm trying to get to a mile and a half trying to run up this incline. And my body is like, you are sore. Your legs hurt. You can't breathe. you got to stop or you're going to die. And I, all I could do, all I could do was <laughs> Reality, right? Reality, right? <laughs> Did I stop? I didn't stop. I can tell you something right now. This was a revelation to me. 
I said, my body is only telling me a condition. But the condition is not the reality. The reality is the identity of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ didn't tell me anything I couldn't do. He told me everything that I can do through his blood. And so I finished that mile and a half, and I went a lot farther than that. I think about athletes and how they push so hard. They take their bodies to a whole new level. But we got to think about it in the sin aspect as well. Our bodies are telling us, you need to do this because you got to satisfy this thing so it will go away. And when you satisfy that thing, it only goes away for a couple of minutes. But in that, re- in that moment, you got to say, I do not identify with this sin. I do not identify with being taken to this. But I identify in Jesus Christ. And I don't have to do that because God took it. When the disciples said all things are possible through Christ Jesus, they said, if a rich man can't get into heaven, who can get into heaven? Jesus said, all things are possible through Jesus. Don't identify with a rich man. Identify with Jesus Christ. Identify with the blood. When you identify with the blood in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, anyone can get into heaven. You have to find your identity. Paul finds this identity and he's preaching. And he's preaching so good that he's preaching all night long and a man falls asleep in a window and he falls out, falls dead on the ground. And in the middle of his preaching, he keeps on preaching, goes over, resurrects him from the dead and preaches till morning. Now that's a preacher. I mean, he must have been boring. That's got to be why the guy fell asleep, but that's a preacher. He was so radical for what he believed in that he was being persecuted just as as he was persecuting others. I want to read a scripture in here, and then I'm going to explain a little bit more about it. But it says, if I can find it, I don't know if I'll be able to find it. But anyway, the Lord, the Lord told Ananias, he said, just as Paul persecuted others, so he is going to be persecuted for my name's sake. He was called. But Paul was being persecuted. He was, the first time we see his persecution, his clothes are ripped off of him, him and Silas, and they're beaten with rods. They're beaten with rods, and then they're locked up in the very, very confines of the prison. They submass as much security as possible. Don't let these guys get out. So they put them in stocks. So they're laying in stocks, and their hands and their feet are tied. They can't move. And I don't know about you, but if you ever sat in one position long enough, I mean, we get, we get tired of sitting in a bleacher when our butts start to hurt, right? And we're like, man, I just can't handle this any longer. And, and you try to shift to the left or the right, but stocks don't let you shift to the left or the right. And what do they choose to do? They don't choose to be identified by the stocks that are holding, by the bondage that's on them externally, but they choose to identify with Jesus Christ. And they start worshiping. And an earthquake comes and breaks the chains of bondage that once held them. And they go out of the prison. Paul was radical. He went after it. He said, I no longer identify to the law because now I found something higher than the law. Ooh, so good. So good. I want to share a little bit of something that I wrote a while ago. And I found it the other day. It was written in my Bible. So... It says, Paul's bondage was the external light of what he was sharing. Though bound on the outside, he would never be bound on the inside. He was completely free regardless of any chains that were placed on him. His bondage was the external light of what he was sharing. Your bondage is the external light of Jesus Christ in you. 
You might not like the bondage. I'm sure Paul didn't like being in prison. But you know what? When Paul was in prison, he got the jailer saved. When he was in prison in Rome, he got the Roman, Romans saved. There was a lot of them too. He spent years in Rome writing letters to churches. But in between the writing of the letters, he was preaching to the people around him. And now the very guards that were holding him captivity, the very bondage that was holding was starting to show the light into the very world that he was, he was not able to walk any longer. That's amazing. He was shocking even the culture of the prison. He was shocking the culture of those that bound him. He was shocking the culture of those that held him down. Shocked the culture of the people at your work. Shocked the culture of the people in your family. Shocked them. They might not react the way you want them to react. They might tell you how weird you are and how bonded you are that Paul said all the time, I'm a bond slave of Christ. He, did, he, he no longer identified with even who he was. His name changed because he changed. We see it all over the Bible. It was Abraham, Abram, and then Abraham. He changed. So he identified in a new place. He was radical for what he believed in. And he pushed to a new level. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18. It says... Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Being reconciled is nothing more than being brought together. It's a bringing together. Our sin separates us from Christ. Our sin puts a chasm between us and God. In the garden when they sinned, there was no longer the reflection of who God really was. <laughs> I feel like when God was walking around in the garden and he said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't the fact that God didn't know where Adam was. It's the fact that God could no longer see himself in Adam. He could no longer see the identity that he had created Adam to be. I think of when, when I... When I come into worship and I'm standing before the throne of God and Revelation describes the very sea of glass before the throne of God and I, I, I always think, I'm like, the reason that it says it's a sea of glass, a jasper and stone because it gives him the reflection. He can see himself in that jasper stone and when he created the earth, it's, he created it because he wanted to see himself. He created man in the likeness of his image because he wanted to see himself. We're finding identity in so many different things today. We're finding identity in what our friends tell us to do. We're finding identity in the world, what the world tells us to do, that we need to identify with sex, that we need to identify with, with drinking, that we need to identify with hooting and hollering for a football team, that we need to identify with, with having a good job and having lots of money and having a huge house that nobody can pay for, having a car that nobody is able to drive, having things that do, do nothing but show the world our brokenness. It's nothing but a mere cover-up of what you're trying to define yourself as. Because you know the identity that you've been living your whole life is not what you want. You know the identity that you've been living your whole life is broken. You know that it's done nothing but give you hardship and pain. And so you're covering, covering it up with a car. You're covering it up with a house. You're covering it up with a wife or a husband. You're trying to cover it up with relationships here and there. You're covering it up with a bottle. You're covering it up with, with sitting down on a computer. Just because you don't have a spouse doesn't mean you have to try and make up a fantasy of one. The spouse is only a portion and a part of what Christ has called him to be in your life. Be married to Christ, and you won't need any of that. 
be married to Christ and in that identity, you'll no longer pursue those things. It sounds easy as I talk about it, but I can tell you right now, it is super hard. It is not easy. It's a whole new level of living, but it's a living that is worth it. You don't have to be identified with the bottle. You don't have to be identified with smoking weed. You don't have to be identified with drugs. You don't have to be identified with the way your parents live. You don't have to be identified with divorce. You don't have to be identified with that. Live in a new identity. Be radical for what you believe in. You're radical for what you're believing in, in your very reality of yourself. You're radical for how your parents raised you. You're radical for brokenness. You're radical for drinking. You're radical for going out every night. You're radical for doing drugs. You're radical for doing it all. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, you've received him, and now you sit there and you just hold this thing that has the key to freedom in your whole life, and you sit there and you just cuddle it, and you say, oh, sweet Jesus, you're so good to me, and you gave me a new identity, and, and I don't do those things all the time anymore. But why don't you just start being radical for what God has called you to be, your identity? Why don't we start being radical for who he's called you? Let's be set apart. In verse 16, it said, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. We knew Jesus according to the flesh, but when he went on that cross and died, that was it. He is now God forever. When we receive Christ Jesus, it says that we become like Christ. We went to the cross. We died. We become new creation. In verse 17, it says that all things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are new. Live like you're new. If you ever get a chance to take out a new car, you know that you're just going to go and... and and test drive, I mean, you're not nice to that car, right? You kind of drive a little radically, don't you? You take that thing out, and you're like, well, what can this thing do? We're just going to return it in a couple minutes, you know? Christ has given us the power to live in that way. And I want to challenge you here tonight, if you're identifying with anything but Jesus Christ, if you're having hardship, if you're if you're in an area right now that you you just feel like, Every day is the same. Every day is the same broken record. It's over and over again. Every relationship ends the same way. Every thought ends the same way. Every night ends the same way. I can't seem to get out of this rut. I'm going to tell you right now that in this place right now, you have to, to get up, stand up, and you have to say, that's not my identity anymore. Jesus Christ is now my identity. How can I do that, you say? Well, all I can tell you right now is the Bible says that if you, if you confess your sins before him, and accept him and believe that he died on the cross and gave you a new identity, brought you from, from the, the hell that you knew and made you anew. You can have him. It's as simple as that. There is no sin that will separate you from God. There is no thing that can separate you from God. Why? Because those things don't identify you when you receive Christ. When you receive Christ and believe that he died on the cross, that his blood was shed, that it covered the mercy seat, that the power is everlasting, eternal, it will never fade, it never goes away. Your identity is the blood. You're made new. You don't have to live the way you're living. You don't have to... to to accept brokenness. If you guys would stand with me right now, I just want to extend an invitation to move out of this broken, this broken area, this broken thought process of where we're in. That I want you to really think about your life, to think about the things, and we all have them. We all have things that take us back in the night, that take us back in the dark, that the light isn't shining into. 
We all have things that, that, are, that are trying to identify us. And if you've never received Christ right now, I want you to start thinking about what your new life would look like in the blood of Jesus if you didn't have to identify with those things that you've been identifying with your whole life. I want you to think right now what it would be like to wake up and see the bright, shining light. We all know how nice it is to have the sun out right now. We're coming out of a winter season that brought cloudy days, that brought snow, that brought slippery roads, that brought destruction. We are seeing the light. These bright and shiny, sunshiny days are nothing more than the reflection of the glory of the Father. The glory of the Father, the light wants to shed in your life tonight. Today. Boy, it's, you know, you know it. It's okay. Let that light come in. Let that light come in. If you've never received Christ right now, I want you to take that this time right now to make a commitment to Christ. And I'm going to pray with you in a minute. But if you want to receive Christ here today, I want you to take a step of faith. With all eyes closed, heads bowed, I want you to raise your hand. If you want to receive Christ in this place today, raise your hand. Thank you. I see you guys. Pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I receive you. I confess my sins. I confess that my identity hasn't been you. But I want my identity to be you right now in this place. I believe that you died upon the cross. I believe that you made me anew. Fill me with your spirit now. I receive you. In Jesus' name, and they all said, amen. There is nothing more important than that decision. There is nothing more important than identifying with Christ. There is nothing more powerful. You heard the song, how powerful his name is, the name of Jesus. At the very cry of Jesus, at the very sound of his name, every devil, every demon, every unrighteous thing has to flee. Nothing can stand where Christ stands. Nothing can stand. And I tell you what, when you identify with Jesus, you are nothing more than, than him himself. He has taken your place. He said every sin that you've ever done, every bad thing you've ever done, I take it away. And now I stand here and I take it all upon myself. And you now are right before the Father. You're standing right next to the throne. You are seated in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father. How good can that be? Glory to his name. Let's give God a praise in this place. Lift him up in this place. For he is good. He is great. He is almighty. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will always be. Thank you, Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.me.